Well, good morning. It's good to be with you in worship today on this fourth Sunday of Advent. I want to ask a question to kind of get a feel for the room. What, anybody know what yesterday was? It was Saturday, but I'm looking for a little bit of a deeper. I heard it, winter solstice. So yesterday was the longest night of the calendar year. Uh, And in the life of the church, many churches throughout the centuries have observed the longest night as a time in the year where we pause and reflect on the darkest night because the journey from Advent to the birth of Jesus on Christmas begins in darkness. It begins in a time of darkness as we lean into the light piercing into being through the birth of Jesus. And so I can't think of a greater uh, carol to talk about today than What Child Is This? because it discusses that very journey from darkness to light. And we're going to talk about that in a deeper way as I share with you more about the story behind the song. But first, I want to make a point about why it's crucial that we don't rush into Christmas, why we take the time to inhabit this space of uncertainty, to inhabit with curiosity and contemplation. Because at the heart of Advent is not simply a passive exercise in waiting, but a waiting that is both active and intentional. And what I mean by that is that it's very tempting in this season of Advent, this season of waiting, for us to sort of sit back and watch, to wait as things unfold, to see what possibly could happen. But instead, it's a time of waiting with purpose. It's a time of waiting, like I said, that is active and intentional, a time where we reflect, a time where we contemplate the story of Christmas and what it took to get there. You know, it's not a journey that was an easy one. To get to the light of Christmas took a journey It took a journey for Mary and Joseph, and for many of us, as we dwell in our own space of darkness, we lean into the light breaking through. And so that brings us to what child is this? And maybe that's the question we find ourselves asking this Advent. What child is this who could possibly break through into darkness with an unfathomable light? What child is this who could possibly be God's plan of hope for the world in the midst of chaos, in the midst of this weary world? What child is this? And that's the song we're going to be talking about today. It's a song that starts in this way. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap? is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. This is, and, and I sing it for you for two reasons. One, the, the reflection in the words is very poignant. There's a curiosity in that question. What child is this? But I also love the tune because it's a tune that is very haunting to the ear. It's a tune that isn't completely resolved because it's about this pondering, this holy reflection that we are doing as we prepare our hearts as Christ comes into our world once again. 
And it's a tune that is familiar to us, as Pastor John mentioned, because the initial tune had nothing whatsoever to do with Jesus, Christmas, Christianity at all. Green Sleeves is the name of this tune. In fact, when I was looking up about this song, the first thing that came to mind was Green Sleeves was one of the first songs I learned how to play on the piano. Because it's a very simple tune, it's easy to remember, it's familiar to the ear, but it eventually got paired with this classic timeless carol, What Child Is This? But initially, Green Sleeves was what many in England believed to be a song providing commentary on the rather promiscuous life of King Henry VIII, and in particular, his second wife, Anne Boleyn. Now, that is the overwhelming legend behind the song, but to this day, it's a song that's sung in many pubs around England, but it's also a tune that has been set to many other things, and as you learned and I learned this morning, to the Lassie uh, TV show. <laughs> um, but this song and the story behind this song, the Advent story, the birth of Jesus, intersected the life of a man named William Chatterton Dix. And William Chatterton Dix was a guy born in Bristol, England, who eventually moved to Scotland and started his own marine insurance company. And he was the manager at 28 years old. And he also had a hidden passion. He was a poet. He wrote poems. He wrote tunes. He wrote songs. That was his true calling. But the people in his workplace often gave him criticism because he spent more time writing poems than he often did showing up to work. But many of us have been in workplaces or environments before, perhaps, where we're living in this tension that maybe we're doing something that's not necessarily our true passion and calling from God, but we try to balance it with whatever it is we happen to be doing. And this guy was living in that tension, wanting to write, wanting to tell stories and share messages through words while also managing a pretty reputable business. But the Advent story showed up in this guy's life in a profound way in perhaps one of the darkest, longest seasons of darkness in his life. But before we answer the question just how that story met this ordinary poet-slash-marine insurance manager, I think it's crucial that we consider the setting in which Jesus was born. So that goes and takes us to the second verse of this song. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear, for sinners hear. The silent word is pleading. So last week, Pastor John talked about how the good news traveled first to an unlikely group of people. And who were they? Shepherds. So this unlikely group of shepherds. Now today, we hear a song that talks about the unlikely and unexpected space that this child would be born in. A place filled with straw, a place filled with smells of all sorts, with animals, with no privacy whatsoever. And yet, as that verse tells us, God's word is pleading from the lowly place of a cattle trough, believe it or not. God's word is breaking free from this unexpected, unlikely of places. 
And so when we talk about what child is this, I want us to consider three questions this morning. And the first is this, what child is this who could meet us, who would meet us in our physical darkness? So this is question number one. What child is this who would meet us in our physical darkness? You know, when we think about the Christmas story, many of us jump to the joy and the sentimentality that surrounds it. That's where our mind immediately goes. But we skip over often the journey that it took to get there. And it wasn't a journey that you probably watched on some predictable Hallmark movie plot over the last several weeks. But it's a story that begins rather dark, physically dark. Mary and Joseph begin in this story with the immediate danger of threat. They're forced to leave their home. They're forced to go to Egypt because they've been told that their child is not safe, that they are in danger, that there's this king in Jerusalem who believes that this coming Messiah, this coming king has come to completely usurp his authority. And so they are forced to leave what they know, what they feel secure in, to go into unknown physical darkness. And there's a part of that story that is very hard for us to hear, but it's important for us to remember it and to recall it because we can't ignore the setting in which Jesus was born. Jesus came into this world in darkness. Jesus was born into a place that wasn't completely ordered and peaceful. And so in Matthew's gospel, we hear a little more about King Herod. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When I think about that story and I think about Mary and Joseph's journey, one has to consider that this was not an easy journey. And for many of us, it's a journey where many of us can perhaps resonate. You know, Mary and Joseph find themselves, if we locate ourselves in Bethlehem, running in fear from this corrupt king in a place with dealings and schemes and political scheming and fighting and violence and hatred, longing to experience the peace that only God can provide. And I think there are many days where we recognize our own physical darkness, our own Bethlehem story that we may encounter. Many of us struggle and long for peace in our world that's constantly in strife with one another, where everyone seems to speak vitriol first and their primary language second because we don't know how to engage with one another peacefully. A world where there are still people around this world who are persecuted for their faith and what they believe in a world where we continue to wake up time and time again to hear about senseless violence in our world. And so for many of us, the darkness that we may find ourselves in today is not so far off 
from the darkness Mary and Joseph experienced fleeing to Egypt. But what's important is that God's message of hope that entered into their lives reminded them that our faith does not leave us in the darkness of our unique Bethlehem realities, our unique Bethlehem stories, where we may be experiencing physical darkness around us. How are we longing and leaning into the light that can only come through the Christ child? The darkness was no stranger to our friend William Chatterton Dix. And I come back to him because there was a time in his life where he became gravely ill at a young age. He was so overwhelmed in balancing his work and balancing his passion that he became gravely ill, confined to his bed for months on end, and ultimately found himself struggling with a deep depression. But it was in the midst of that dark space of his life At this point, none of his poetry had at all touched the topic of faith. But he started considering his faith, a faith that he knew he had, but he had never claimed it in the way that he would have liked. He started turning through the scriptures, and one particular section of scripture struck him the most, and it was the Advent story, the story of Christ's birth. And even more particular, it was the idea that By God's grace, we recognize our need and longing for a Savior. And it was that very notion that led him to pen this poem called The Manger Throne, which would get paired with green sleeves and become what we know today as what child is this. And who would have thought this ordinary insurance manager, over 200 years after green sleeves was composed, Put those words of his poem to this song. And so, this brings us to our second question. What child is this who would meet us in our emotional darkness? So we talked about a child who meets us in our physical darkness, but what about our emotional darkness? Well, I think first and foremost about this idea that the birth of Jesus shatters all of our expectations. God changes the narrative that many of us have that God creates us and then is sort of estranged and beyond us and sort of flips it on its head and says, no, God is with us. God dwells with us, even in the dark depths of a lonely stable, even in the uncertainties that many of us may be encountering in this weary world. God inhabits the darkness, not just of our physical location, but our emotions as well. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Rome, words that for many of us are a timeless reminder when things in our lives can often try to attempt to divide us from that good news. He says, no, in all these things are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That verse could be a sermon in itself, right? 
And I think it's especially important for us to be reminded of that because many of us, and I think a lot about you all in this congregation, find yourselves in emotional darkness all the time. Many of us are trying to focus on the good news of great joy, but we are also in the midst of custody battles. We are in the midst of divorce proceedings. We are struggling with terminal illnesses. We're in toxic relationships or friendships. We're dealing with seasonal bouts of depression or anxiety, and we are longing to experience the joy and the light of Christmas. But this child, Christ the King, would usher in the good news that we do not have to face that darkness in isolation. We don't have to inhabit that space of uncertainty by ourselves. And no matter what it is that we may be carrying, no matter the addiction or the illness or whatever it is that is trying to hold us captive, It can never separate us from that good news of God dwelling among us, with us. And for Dix, the Advent story was what released him from feeling that his illness was setting the pace of his life. And instead, he recognized that it was this story of hope, that that was the ultimate game changer for him. And it's that challenge many of us want to experience so that we allow this story to set our pace and not let the other things dictate that path for us. When we think about the question, what child is this? It's no denying that a question is very relatable to us because we can ask that same question ourselves. It's not just a question that Mary and Joseph probably were asking or the shepherds were asking or the wise men, but it's a question that when we speak it, we feel that we are located in that curiosity as well. But then we get to the third verse, and the third verse is the only one that's not in the form of a question, and it goes like this. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Let loving, or sorry, excuse me, Can you get that on the screen? There we go. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Our third and final question is this. What child is this who would meet us in our spiritual darkness? In other words, what is it about this child that moves us from a place of maybe doubt or disbelief, and moves us toward this place of fervent praise and adoration. Praise that, like the wise men, leads us to lavish our Lord with praise and worship and gifts. What leads us to that place? You know, in first century Judaism, the thing that was very much on the mind of many of those people was the coming of a Messiah, messianic expectations, This idea that God would send God's anointed into the world at an uncertain time that nobody quite knew. But one thing that was clear was that the people were divided on who they thought this person would be. There were some who believed that this coming Messiah was the next iteration of a King David, somebody who would be ruling with a good reputation, who would rule with diplomacy and dignity. 
But then the other extreme, you had people who thought this individual was going to rule with sword. They would be a mighty warrior who would ensure peace and stability for God's people. And then there was another subset who believed that this person would be a priest in the lineage of Moses' brother Aaron, somebody who would intercede for God's people in time of need, in time of uncertainty. But when Isaiah was called to prophesy in the Old Testament by God, he had words to share that were probably some of the most unsettling words that any of those people would have ever thought to hear. Words that probably clashed with everything they had pictured in a coming Messiah. Everything that they perhaps ever thought. And Isaiah is speaking to God's people in a time where their own faith is wavering with God. They're engaging in internal conflict with each other. They are in strife. They are participating in acts that are amounting to nothing. But then Isaiah says the following. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so when you have these kings in power that Isaiah is often speaking to, they are probably more confused than they are terrified. You mean a child? The Messiah that we've long expected is not a warrior, is not this king, is not this, you know, priestly person. It's more than that. It's a lowly child whose accolades are far beyond what we could ever begin to imagine. It's a child whose birth would start the reign of an eternal promise. No longer would you have the reign of leaders who are in and out like clockwork but this child would reign forever with no definitive end in mind. When Dix was writing the words to what child is this, he was writing in a century where, particularly in the American colonies, Christmas had become so much of a celebration that many of the Puritans in those colonies put a ban on Christmas. In Massachusetts in particular, one of the bands said the following, for preventing disorders arising in several places within our jurisdiction, by reason of some who still observe such festivals as were superstitiously kept in other countries, to the great dishonor of God and offense of others. It is therefore ordered by this court that whosoever shall be found observing such a day as Christmas or the like either by ceasing to work, feasting, or any other way, every person so offending shall pay of every such offense five shillings as a fine to the county. And when I think about this guy, William Chatterton Dix, writing these 
powerful celebratory words about the coming of the Christ child in a time where many believed that so much had drifted away from the Christmas story. I think in many ways he was trying to challenge the status quo and say, this is not news that's intended to be coveted, not intended to be hidden from sight. It's a cause for good news. It's a cause to be shared. It's a cause to spread. Knowing what it had done for his life, Dix's words looked to who Jesus would become, the one who is the good news that inspires our worship. And when we talk about good news, news is meant to be shared. News is meant not to be kept hidden from all to hear, not to be banned. We celebrate this season because it is the very direction, the very inspiration of why we continue to celebrate the coming of Christ into our world, not just in the Advent story in Bethlehem, but the expectation that he one day will come again and shatter the darkness. And so I love that this ordinary guy is sort of living into his calling and challenging people to reclaim that good news in a time where for many, they had felt spiritually dark, spiritually empty. I close with Mary's song, the Magnificat. For if you imagine Mary in the position she was in, she probably had her own feelings of physical, emotional, and spiritual darkness surrounding her. And yet she is told that through her, God's plan of great hope for all people will come to bear. And she sings this song saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And so the thing I want us to go away from here today remembering is that the darkness of Advent is what opens our eyes for the need for a Savior. That until we recognize the darkness we live in, it is only then that we experience and know that the light will far outweigh whatever that darkness is. And by the gift of God's grace, when we find ourselves asking the question, what child is this? We are excited to release our curiosity, wanting to know this child, wanting to experience the peace that only could be brought about through him, and longing to embrace the joy that is sharing this good news that never loses its timelessness for us so that we rejoice when we sing, this, this is Christ the King, 
whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly God, we are reminded that in our darkness, you are the light breaking through. You are the peace that passes all understanding. You are the good news of great joy for all people. God, as we linger in this darkness for another week, and as we lean into the light that is the coming of your child into this world, may we be bold and courageous to recognize how you dwell with us and how through that dwelling, we in turn can go and be vessels for your light so that the darkness has no victory, but your light reigns everlasting and eternal. God, we offer all these things to you in the name of that precious child whose birth we celebrate this week. All of God's people said, Amen.